today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. Romans chapter 2, we want to pick it up with verse 17. Hopefully we can finish up chapter 2. Maybe. Don't hold me to it. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God. Now, the Jews rested in the law, their whole world Uh, revolved around the law. Some even thought that they were automatically saved because of it. But their boast was not so much of God as it was in themselves. Uh, They thought that they had a corner on God because of all the people in the world. God had chosen Abraham, and they were of the seed of Abraham. That, In their minds, that made them special. And John the Baptist dealt with it. Jesus dealt with it. Uh, John the Baptist said, you need to bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And so that completely uh, does away with the idea of a nationalistic salvation. Just because you're born uh, a Jew or you're born under parents that are saved, that don't mean that you're saved. It's something that you need to take care of uh, personally with the Lord. Uh, Romans 2, verse 18. You knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Now, the law of God reveals the will of God. Uh, If you won't know what the will of God is... Just open up his word and and read it and study it, and you'll find out what his will is. Uh, The Jews knew the word of God. Their little boys, by the time they were 12 years old, they were able to recite the book of Leviticus. And they knew the word of God, and they had tested it over and over again, and they had proven it to be more excellent and better than the wisdom and philosophies of men. But the problem is, instead of allowing the Word of God to mold them, they would mold the Word of God into what they thought that it meant. And that's a problem that we have today. We open up the Word of God and we go in with preconceived thoughts and ideas of what we think it means, and we try to mold what we read 
to match what we think instead of molding and changing our thinking to match the Word of God. When you do that, you're heading for trouble. That's what Israel did, and we know what happened to them. They crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, Verse 19, Romans 2. You're confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. What God gave the Jews in the law was the only true light in the world. God intended for the Jews to take that light to the Gentiles. He intended for them to share it, to use it as a guide. Jesus said, if you'll look at Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. But the Jews did not allow that light to shine as they should. And Paul points that out in these next few verses, if you'll look at verse 21. Thou therefore, uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 21. Thou therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself. In other words, the rules didn't apply to them. They applied to everybody else, but didn't apply to them. Now, Jesus addressed this. uh, If you'll go to Matthew chapter 23, we're going to read a little bit more Scripture there than just one verse. Matthew chapter 23, uh, we'll pick it up with verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move any of them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge their borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Uh, If you'll look down in verse 15, Jesus really tells them all. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Like Paul said, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself. The rules applied to everybody else, but didn't apply to them. Now let's look at the latter half of verse 21 of Romans chapter 2. Paul said, Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Many of them did. Jesus went into the temple with a whip in his hand. One of the times where Jesus was, got real angry was he went into the temple and they were in there uh, selling doves and all these kind of things. You can see that in uh, Matthew chapter 21. 
uh, verse 12, uh, if you want to pull that up. Matthew 21, beginning with verse 12. Jesus went in the temple and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers. Uh, verse 13, and said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And Paul said, Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Yes, they did. And let me tell you how they were doing that. Uh, back in those days, travel uh, was rather difficult. Some of them had to travel quite a ways to get to the temple. And because of that, they were not able to take an animal in order to sacrifice at the temple. So what they would do, they would take money in their hands and when they got there, they would purchase an animal, whatever the case. The problem is, uh, they come from all over the place in the Roman Empire. And the money that was used here in this area was not accepted over there. And so when they got there, they would have to exchange uh, their currency for money that was accepted. So they'd have to go to a money changer who would, for a fee... Uh, exchange their money for the money that was acceptable there in that spot. It's like, you know, if you're going to go to Canada, uh, you need to take your bills and convert it over to money that folks up in Canada uh, would accept. And uh, that was somewhat convenient for them, I guess. But uh, they were charging an exuberant amount there at the temple. Uh, they were providing a service. Nothing wrong with providing a service, but they were really uh, making a lot of money off of this thing. And Jesus overthrew the tables of the money changers and said, you've made it a den of thieves. Um, the other side is you had some that were close by the temple. They'd bring their sacrifice to the temple. And the priest would look at it and inspect it and say, oh, he's got a little spot right there. Uh, we're not going to be able to offer that up. Uh, but I do have one uh, back here behind the temple uh, for a small price. We'll sell you that one, and then we can go on and offer it up for you. So, And then they would take their animal back around behind the temple and bring another one around. And the next guy come up, they'd do the same thing, and they'd get the one from the guy before and pull it around. Oh, this one's better than yours. And so, It won't nothing but a money-making racket. And Jesus said, you've made the house of God into a... A den of thieves. So they were stealing from the peoples what they were doing. Paul said there, Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Verse 22, Romans chapter 2. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? In the eighth chapter of the book of John, Jesus went into the temple and he's teaching. And all of a sudden, the service is disrupted. The scribes and Pharisees, they bring in this woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And just flung her down in front of everybody. And said this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Uh, Law of Moses says that such should be stoned. What do you say? Well, the first thing I want to know is, where was the man 
because it, it, it takes two. I think the idea was they were trying to trap Jesus. And I think some of those people that brought the woman was actually involved in the act of adultery. And you all know the story. How Jesus knelt down on the ground and he wrote. And they kept saying, what do you say? What do you say? Well, if Jesus had a said stoner, then he would have been usurping authority over Rome. And they would have been able to accuse him, arrest him, and done whatever they wanted to. If he'd have said, don't stone her, then he wouldn't have been going according to the law of Moses. And then they, again, it was a catch-22 situation. They thought they had him either way he went. He stood up and he said in John chapter 8, verse 7, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Now, the Greek says this, he that is without this sin among you, let him cast the first stone. He among you that is without this sin. And they all dropped their stones and had business elsewhere. And Paul asked the question, thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Yes, they did. Latter half of verse 22 of Romans chapter 2. Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? The Jews literally, literally made a god out of the law. They even rebuked Jesus several times for healing on the Sabbath day. Paul is posing these questions to point out a great problem. And it's a problem that we have today. They were not practicing what they preached. They were saying all kind of things, telling others what the law meant. But as far as themselves obeying and going by it, they were not. They were not practicing what they preach. And let me tell you this, if the Word of God is not allowed to work in the life of the preacher, the preacher can little preach. If the Word of God is not allowed to work in the life of the teacher, the teacher can little teach. If the Word of God is not allowed to work in any of our lives, then we cannot be effective to others. And we need to think about that. All right, Romans 2, verse 23. Thou that makest thy boast of the law. The Jews had the law. They claimed to be keeping it, but they really won't, as we've already proven. Paul said, through breaking the law, you dishonor God. In other words, when you claim to be a Jew or... You claim to be a Christian, you need to act like one. We represent God in this world. And when we break God's law, we're dishonoring God. We make God look bad. How many times have you had someone to say or heard someone say, I'm not going to church, there's too many hypocrites that go there. Well, if they're going to that church, I ain't going 
Whenever we claim to be a Christian and we're not acting like one, we make God look bad. We're dishonoring God. Verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. Now, there are several places in the Old Testament where it is written. And I'm just going to pick out one of them, and that's in Ezekiel chapter 36. Dana, if you will, pull that up. Ezekiel chapter 36, move down to verse 16. Ezekiel 36, verse 16. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelled in their land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore, I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. Their idol worship incorporated uh, the offering up of little children in human sacrifice. That's how bad it was. That's why God went on to say, verse 19, I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries. According to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. And when they entered into the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said unto them, These are the people of the Lord and are gone out of his hand. Their defeat caused the heathen to think that Jehovah God was not able to protect and take care of them. Or else they thought that God was mistreating them. Either way, it dishonored God. The honor of Jehovah God was lessened in the minds of the heathen. But God was allowing all of this because of their sin. But they wouldn't admit that. We're the people of God. So when you get right down to it, their sin caused the heathen to dishonor God. And whenever we sin, we dishonor God. We make God look bad. All right, Romans 2, verse 25. Romans 2, 25. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. Circumcision was the outward sign um, that God gave to Abraham, and the Jews held to that firmly. You could not become Jewish. You could not be saved unless you were circumcised. Latter half of verse 25. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Paul is telling them that circumcision, although it's given by God within itself, can't save you. You think about that. Circumcision, water baptism, the Lord's Supper, joining the church. Although these are good things and they're in the Word of God and God has given it and they have their place, those things within themselves does not save you. And we're going to see it a little bit later on when we get down into verse 29. Uh, it's the condition of the heart that really matters. Verse 26, 
Romans 2. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, speaking of the Gentiles, Gentiles were getting saved. Their lives were being gloriously changed. It was obvious uh, what was happening to them. They now had a desire to live right, do right. Uh, They wanted to keep the law of God. And... uh, the Jews wouldn't recognize that because they would not be circumcised or they won't circumcised. The Jews would look at that and say, oh, they ain't saved. They ain't nothing because they're not circumcised. You know, I had a man tell me not too long ago, Brother James, when you pray that prayer over the radio, it don't do any good because unless you're standing right there when they pray that prayer, and put them in that tank and baptize them. Right then, they ain't saved. His faith was in water baptism. That's bottom line. They got to be baptized right then. And boy, he just stood me down. And I said, well, man, I'm glad you're telling me this. Uh, I sure wish Jesus had known that, because when he was dying on the cross, he looked at the thief and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that man won't baptize. Oh, yes, he was, too, because it started raining, and God looked at that as, I'm like, really? Anyway, it ain't changed. It ain't changed a bit. The Jews were all hung up in circumcision, and if we're not careful, we get hung up in things as well. If you ain't a member of our church, if you ain't baptized, if you don't partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, if you don't speak in other tongues, then you're not saved. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on, rules, regulations, and whatever the case. Romans 2, verse 26 again. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? In other words, their hearts had been changed without the physical act of circumcision. That thief on the cross, when he said, Lord, remember me, he didn't have an opportunity to be baptized, but his heart was changed. And that's what makes the difference that is what really matters uh verse 27 and shall not uncircumcision again speaking of the gentiles which is by nature if it fulfill the law judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law the jews really needed to look at what they were doing they were all caught up in circumcision sabbath keeping uh, the keeping of feasts, days, offering sacrifices, uh, the list goes on and on with that. None of that was bringing about any moral change within their lives. And I could baptize anybody. They'll go down a dry center and come up a wet center until they accept Jesus Christ. And he comes in and changes that heart. That is what makes the difference. And those who had accepted Christ, these Gentiles, even though they had not participated in any of those uh, Jewish uh, religious rituals, uh, they were enjoying lives that were gloriously changed, and it was obvious. And that within itself, Paul is saying, is a judge of Israel. All right, verse 28. 
For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Um, if you will, go to Colossians chapter 2 as we close it out. When God gave circumcision to Abraham, when circumcision takes place, you have the shedding of blood and the removal of flesh. Let me say that again. When circumcision occurs, you have the shedding of blood and the removal of flesh. When God gave circumcision to Abraham, it was a foreshadow of a spiritual thing which takes place within the heart and life of the believer. It was a foreshadow of what every one of us, hopefully, if you're saved, you've experienced it. But maybe perhaps you've not heard of it in this way. And Paul brings it out, I think, best in Colossians chapter 2. Move down, if you will, to verse 10. He said, Colossians 2, verse 10, You are complete in Him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The moment you get saved, you're putting your faith in Christ's finished work. His blood was shed at Calvary's cross. There is a spiritual circumcision that takes place in your heart. The sin nature is cut off. It is rendered ineffective. Your sins are removed from you as far as east is from the west. But it is an operation that continues to take place within your heart and life. It, it happened the moment you got saved, but you're still not perfect. I'm still not perfect. The Lord still continues to point out things in our lives that's flesh, that things that um, is hindering, causing us all kind of problems. And the Lord wants to remove that. The Lord wants to remove that flesh that is within our lives and he does it through and by his shed blood our faith in his finished work allows the holy spirit to remove those things you can't do it but the holy spirit through you can do it he can change that desire he can change that whatever it is in your life that's not right. He can change that thing if we'll only continue to keep our faith in His finished work. Now, if you'll look at verse 12 there of Colossians 2. Buried with Him in baptism, 
wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. That right there ties in with the sixth chapter of Romans where Paul said, Know ye not as many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ. Water baptism is a symbol of what has already taken place uh, spiritually within our hearts and lives. Uh, we're buried with him in baptism. In the mind of God, when Jesus died on the cross, we died with him. The old you died with him. When Jesus was buried in the tomb, all of our sins were buried in the tomb with him. When Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit raises us to a newness of life. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All of that, we're baptized into Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Uh, we were dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh. In other words, the sin nature was at one time dominating. It was once ruling and reigning in your life. But there is a circumcision made without hands. The Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, comes in and cuts off that sin nature to where it is not supposed to be bothering you anymore. But the sin nature can have a resurrection if you allow your faith to shift to something else other than Christ's finished work. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. Take up the cross daily and follow me. It's a daily thing. Every day you get up and you say, Lord, I, within myself I can't live like you want me to live. I can't live a life that's pleasing to you, but you can live this life through me. And I'm doing it through and by what you did at the cross. And understand that. And when you do that and follow him, those changes will take place. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen if you keep your faith anchored there. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.